You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 34. I'm going to be reading today out of the Amplified Bible, which sometimes will, as it says, amplify certain words, uh, expand it a little bit. It's called the Amplified Bible. Uh, Sometimes it's a good thing. I, I feel very strongly and have been for a couple of weeks to deal with this passage. I really do not know why. Uh, I've been it. We've been in James. We've kind of periodically stepped out. Uh, I've titled the message "When Dads Don't Man Up." When dads don't man up, and we live in a day. We live in a country. We live in a world right now where a lot of our problems could come back to homeless or fatherless homes, and and so when dad does not man up, when he doesn't man up, Genesis chapter thirty-four. Beginning at verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out, and in the Amplified, it will expand, went out unescorted to visit the girls of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince, the sheik of the land, saw her, he kidnapped her and lay intimately with her by force, humbling and offending her. In other words, he raped her. But his soul longed for and clung to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl, and he spoke comforting to her young heart's wishes. So Shechem said to his father, Hamar, get me this young woman as a wife. Now Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled, violated Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were in the field with the livestock. So Jacob said nothing until they came in. But Shechem's father, Hamar, went to Jacob to talk with him. Now when Jacob's son heard of it, sons heard of it, they came in from the field. They were deeply grieved. They were very angry for Shechem had done a disgraceful thing to Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing is not to be done. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you glory. Lord, cleanse me. Use me. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, before I move any farther, and I don't have notes today, but I do have some stats that I think it's important for you and I to listen to before we get into the passage of Scripture. Now, let me read these to you. Let me just give you some of them. 19.5 million children, that's one in three, have no access to their father. One in four live without a father in the home. Nearly 20 million live in single-parent homes, 27% of the homes in America. 64 million men identify as fathers, but only 26 and a half million men are a part of the home where they are married to a spouse and have children under the age of 18 living in the home. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes. That's according to the Texas Department of Correction. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes. Seven out of 10 youth housed in state-operated correctional facilities 
uh, individual detention, residential treatment come from fatherless homes. That's according to the U.S. Department of Justice. 39% of students in the United States, grades 1 through 12, do not have a father in the home. Children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with a father. That's NPR. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school before graduation than children with fathers in their homes. Girls who live in fatherless homes have a 100% higher rate or risk of obesity than girls whose fathers are present. Teen girls without fathers present in their life are four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. 57% of the fatherless homes in the United States involve African-American households Hispanic, 31%. Caucasian, 20%. Fatherless are twice as likely to commit suicide. That's according to the U.S. Department of Justice. 63% of children suicidal are coming out of fatherless homes. 75% of rapists who are often angry when investigated over the abandonment of their father. In other words, fatherless homes. 75% of rapes are caused by people who come out of fatherless homes. 85% of all children who exhibit, exhibit behavioral disorders come out of fatherless homes. The one stats are just endless. One of them said this, growing detached, uninvolved, distracted with work, sports, recreation, women, pornography are leading to an epidemic. 90% of youth runaways come out of fatherless homes. Children who live in single-parent or step-parent families report less schoolwork, monitoring, less social supervision, lower educational expectations from, than from children with two parents in the home. That's the American Sociological Review. About 40% of the children in the United States are born to mothers who are not married. Over 60% of those children were born to mothers under the age of 30. That's according to the CDC. U.S. Census uh, Bureau says that Mississippi has the highest number of fatherless, followed by uh, Louisiana, Mississippi 36%, Louisiana 34%, Alabama 31%. Children who live in fatherless homes are 279% more likely to deal drugs, to carry firearms for the wrong motives. 92% of parents who are currently in prison in the United States grew up in fatherless homes. According to Pew Research, 43% of fathers do not see their role as something that is important to the personal identity of their children. They don't even see the importance of it. 54% of parents uh, say that parenting, 54% of fathers in this country say that parenting is not enjoyable at all. One article said this, there are also some children who live with their fathers, yet he again is emotionally distant and rarely present physically, which means they live in a fatherless home. Wow. People can say, well, you know what's happening to America. A lot of what's happening to America is the result of fatherless homes. And so we come to a passage today 
in Genesis chapter 34 where in many ways, and I don't even know why God put this on my heart, um, but I want to give you three points. We're going to look at the rape of Dinah, we're going to look at the retribution of her brothers, and we're going to look at the response of Jacob. And I promise I'll try to be fast in this. Now, anybody, let me, let me say this first of all. When Sheila and I were at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Florida, I was in, um, I was in, I was a field medical officer in the Army. What? Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, Texas. She, I told Sheila she could correct me, so please do that. The older I get, the more my memory can slip. But while we were there, we were staying in an apartment complex where a lot of military were. The, the girl that uh, was the manager of the apartment complex was married to a military guy. He was very much a man's man. And uh, they had a 17-month-old little boy. Sheila and I had gone to the grocery store. We're bringing in our groceries when we walked by her apartment and noticed that all the blinds were pulled. Now, she always had their blinds open, even had the door open, and sometimes would have her little 17-month-old there in his little rollabout. So we thought that was strange. We got in, unloading, putting the groceries away, when all of a sudden we heard all this screaming and this commotion, and I opened the door, and a military guy on the second floor was standing on the balcony with a loaded shotgun and screaming to the top of his lungs that the manager's wife, the manager had been raped, and two men had held a knife to the 17-month-old little boy. They held it, they held it to the 17-month-old little boy's throat to the degree that it left a mark. I, at that time, probably a couple hundred pounds, far more healthy, and a formidable foe, along with some other military, we went into her apartment. The two guys went out the window. We chased them. We didn't catch them. Eventually, military police collect, uh, called them, and I think they ended up in Leavenworth, and I don't care if they die in Leavenworth. The reality is, is that kind of crime is a horrible crime. Years ago, I told you this before, Emily was given the project of writing something, and she chose to write about a woman who was raped and murdered in the parking lot of a high-rise big apartment complex. And the lack of the response of the citizens in that apartment complex to the rape. In other words, people stood watching from their windows as this woman was gang raped and then murdered. And the issue was what was becoming of America. I'm not startled anymore. In fact, if anything, we slapped the hand of the law enforcement in our day. We see right now in France where thousands of people are, it's just a riot, bedlam. But a lot of crime and a lot of problems go back to the word fatherless. Two words, fatherless home. Now, in Genesis chapter 34, we have Jacob. Now, Jacob is an interesting character. Remember, Jacob is um, Jacob and Esau, his brother Esau, the, the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Remember, Jacob wanted the blessing. Uh, he manipulated, maneuvered his brother, stole the blessing, and then eventually got his father to bless him by staging this, along with his mother, this kind of deception in which he deceived Isaac 
and thereby receive the blessing from the father. You remember Esau got mad about it. Rebekah, the mother, overheard Esau say, I'm going to kill my brother as soon as dad dies. And so Rebekah says to Jacob, you need to run away. You need to go to my family. So she sent Jacob to her brother Laban. Now Jacob's name means underhanded, deceiver, trickster. So he goes and he spends about over two decades with his uncle Laban, who his uncle Laban could sell ice to an Eskimo. He is a master of deception, and through his time there, he marries Leah, he marries Rachel, and you remember his father-in-law deceived him on the night of his wedding and sent Leah in instead of Rachel. It was a picture of, to Jacob, we don't do what you did back home. God broke him. Eventually, Jacob leaves. He brings his family. He comes back to the land of Abraham, to the Canaanite land. And when he gets there, first of all, in, in Genesis chapter 32, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. You remember that? And the angel of the Lord dislocated his hip. And to this day, the Jew does not eat the meat around that particular joint to commemorate Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord because the angel of the Lord dislocated his hip and he walked for the rest of his life with a limp. Now we're in chapter 34 and he's in the land of the Hivites and the Hivites are a group of people that when Moses and Joshua were leading them into the promised land, guess what God said? He said, listen, you better get rid of these people because if you don't, they will affect you. Don't intermarry with them. Don't get caught up in their culture. You need to stay clear of them. But everybody listen. Jacob had brought, bought property in the Hivite territory. In fact, Joseph's bones are buried in this territory. This is just a short distance north of Jerusalem. Now we come to this scene here. Let's go back. Genesis chapter 34, beginning at verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah. Now remember, Leah is his first wife, Jacob's first wife. Jacob had, he had Reuben, he had Simeon, he had Levi, and then uh, he would eventually have more children. Dinah is probably about 15 to 16 years of age. Everybody listen. She has nine brothers. Now watch how Genesis gives this account. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out. Now the Amplified Bible says, unescorted to visit the girls of the land. Let me, everybody look this way. What Moses wanted us to know, and he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we call the Pentateuch. What Moses wanted us to know is that Dinah, at the age of 15, 16 years of age, decided to visit the girls or, or the worldly crowd, you might say. In other words, these were not necessarily good people. Moses had already told him to stay away from him. In other words, this is the culture. This is the environment. This is socially where she was. So, so she goes out, and she begins to visit people in the world, and the Amplified says unescorted. 
In other words, she goes out 15, 16 years of age. She doesn't know a lot of the things of the world. She doesn't understand it. She just goes out. Now, let's read on. When Shechem, the son of Hamar, now Shechem is a prince. The Hivite, the priest, the prince, or the sheik of the land, saw her, he kidnapped her, he lay intimately with her by force, humbling and offending her. In other words, Shechem saw her, he fell in love with her, but more than that, he lusted after her, and he threw caution to the wind, and he raped her. Verse 3, But his soul longed for her, he clung to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the girl. He spoke comforting to the young heart's wishes. So Shechem said to his father, Hamar, get me this young woman as a wife. In other words, this probably is somewhat of a spoiled, entitled individual who has the power and has the ability to basically do a crime, carry it out, and not carry any punishment or repercussions. And you may say, well, he loved her. No, he didn't love her. He lusted after her. You see, the Bible makes it real clear. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. You know, in Genesis 2, I think verse 22, the Bible says that when God created Adam and Eve, he said to Adam and Eve, he said, you know, there's a process that you're going to go through. You're going to leave your father and mother. You're going to cling to your, your, your spouse. Two of you are going to be one flesh and you're going to be naked, and you're not going to be ashamed. You know, God has a process. Shechem thought he could get around that, and he raped her. He lusted after he raped her. And he, then he goes to his father, and he says to his father, he's the most powerful individual in, in, this, in this Hivite area, this territory. He says to his father, he said, listen, I want, to, I want you to get her. I want her. Now, let's read on. Verse 5. Now, Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled, violated Dinah his daughter but his sons were in the field with his livestock so Jacob said nothing until they came but Shechem's father Hamar went to Jacob to talk with him now everybody look this way if there's a principle here for parents your children need you to help them navigate this world you can't let them go it alone you can't let them just have this with, with no accountability at all You've got to know what they're listening to in their music, what they're watching in their movies, who their peers are, what they're hearing in the school, what they have access to on their phones, on their computers, on their laptop. Listen, you cannot do what Jacob did. You can't just let your kids kind of find their own way. And that's exactly what happened here. Dinah went into the Hivite territory. She went in among the women of the world. She started hanging in that environment, and before long, she gets burned. But let me give you another key here. If you don't hear anything else here, this parent, what does the Bible say that Jacob did when he heard that his daughter had been raped? He did nothing. Your children will often watch to see your response to what is wrong or what you know to be wrong. In other words, children are looking at your reaction. They want to know how you're going to respond in a situation. They want to see, listen, they want to see whether dad's bothered, mom's bothered, or you just kind of say, you know, we're just going to go with the flow. We live here. We got to live here. We got to make it. And, and, and so we just, uh, we just kind of let it slide. 
Well, let's read on. Hey, let me give you another. When that rape took place at Fort Sam Houston, I was so angry. When I saw that 17-month-old with a red mark on his neck, I literally would have killed a man had I got my hands on him. And I was surrounded by other militaries, some of them armed, who were just like us. We went running into a very risky area, no caution, no thought to our own well-being, simply to find out who had done that crime. When I was a missionary in Zimbabwe years ago, one of our missionaries who was in a very, very high crime area, a group of Portuguese soldiers came into their home. They tied the husband up with the radio cord, with the cord off of a radio. And then these Portuguese soldiers repeatedly raped one of our missionaries over and over and over and over again. Missionary kids, families, of African missionaries, for the most part, a lot of them are men's men. There was such anger. And though we were Christian, and though we were there to do the right thing, in that moment, a group of missionary men were so angry, so volatile, that we were trying to figure out a way to leave the country we were in and go to the country and respond to the crime that had been committed. Children, watch how you react. You can tell a lot about a man by what makes him angry. You can tell a lot about a woman by what makes her angry, what gets her worked up. Another story. When Mogadishu took place, some of you may have seen the movie Black Hawk Down. A friend of mine, a missionary, was on top of the building during a lot of that in Mogadishu, in Somalia. There came a point that the Islam Muslims in that area, the Somalian people, a group of them, killed one of our U.S. soldiers. I'm a former military, former chaplain, killed one of our military. They were taking the body in the news and they were throwing the soldier's body back and forth laughing and mocking as they were making fun of this dead soldier's body. Again, I'll never forget this. Me and a group of men, we were watching this take place. We became so angry. We were trying to figure out how to get to Somalia to get into that area and to get that boy's body out of that country. I say all that to say this. Jacob didn't respond. I mean, this is, not, this is not like a man who became violently angry. Hey, let me tell you, the, 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 the soldier whose wife had been raped and his 17-month-old had a mark on his neck, the soldier, when he got there, and he's a man's man, he sat there and he beat his fist into the brick wall until we were trying to, it took about three or four of us to pull his hands back and to keep him from literally breaking his hands. He was so angry. And my thought was, wow, 
He loves his family. We live in a world today, in a nation today, where we're not bothered by much of anything anymore. And watch what happens here. We see the rape. Now when Jacob, verse 7, now when Jacob's sons heard of it, they came in from the field. They were deeply grieved. They were very angry for Shechem had done a disgraceful thing to Israel. That's only used three other times in all the Bible in the Old Testament. That Shechem had done a disgraceful thing to Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter for such a thing as not to be done. Look at verse 8. But Hamor conferred with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem deeply longs for your daughter. No, he doesn't long for her. He lusts after her. Please give her to him as his wife. I'm, I'm almost surprised that, uh, that he even shows up at the home of Jacob. And again, Jacob does nothing, verse 9. And beyond that, intermarry with us. Give us your daughters to us as wives. Take our daughters for yourself. In this way, you shall live with us. The country will be open to you. Live and do business in it. Acquire property and possessions in it. In other words, why don't you just settle down and learn to coexist and cohabitate, co coexist with us? Just all being here together. You know, and that's always a struggle, isn't it? In this way, you'll live with us. Now, if you look over in verse 23, if you look over in verse 23, when Hamar and Shechem are trying to talk the other men into doing what's going to be required, because everybody listen. J Jacob's son Simeon and, and Levi, they are fit to be tied. They're angry. And when you read at the end of it, they're not only angry at the Hivites, they're not only angry at Shechem, they're angry at their father because he didn't do anything. But in verse 23, we get a little bit of an insight. Will not their cattle, their possessions, all their animals be ours if we do this? In other words, what Simeon and Levi said to these people, they said, listen, we'll agree to intermarry with you. We'll agree to become one. But you're going to have to take the covenant ritual and you're going to, all your men are going to have to be circumcised. So Shechem and Hamor go back and they say, listen, we're sitting on a golden opportunity here. We can have all of their possessions, all their stuff, if we'll just go through this covenant relationship of circumcision. But in verse 23 it says, will not their cattle, their possessions, and all their animals be ours if we do this? Let us consent to do as they ask, and they will live here with us. In other words, let's just all get along and coexist. Now let's read on. Verse 11, Shechem also said to Dinah's father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your sight. I'll give you whatever you ask of me. Demand of me a very large bridal payment or gift as compensation for giving your daughter and sister, and I'll give you whatever you tell me. Only give me the gift or give me the girl to be my wife. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and Hamar, his brother, his father, deceitfully, because Shechem had defiled and disgraced their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing and give our sister in marriage to one who is not circumcised, because that would be a disgrace to us. But we will consent to you only on this condition, if you will become like us, in that every male among you consents to be circumcised. 
and we will give our daughters to you in marriage. We will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. You know what Moses had told these people from the very beginning as they were going into the promised land? Whatever you do, don't intermarry. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't, don't just do, don't do that. It won't be well for you. Verse 18, their words seemed reasonable to Hamar and his son Jacob. And the young man did not hesitate to do the required thing, for he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected and honored than all the others in the household of his father. Then Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of the walled city where the leading men were meeting and spoke with the men of the city, saying, These men are peaceful and friendly with us. So let them live in the land, do business in it, for the land is large enough for us and for them. Let us take their daughters for wives and let us give them our daughters in marriage, but only on this condition will the men consent to our request that they live among us and become one people, that every male among us become circumcised just as they are circumcised. Everybody look this way. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Uh, circumcision, let me tell you, in the Bible was the sign of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant between God and his people. And you know what God said? I don't mean to embarrass you. God said to man, every time you relieve yourself, you're going to hold in your hand the sign of the covenant between me and you. That's what circumcision is. It was the sign of the covenant. In other words, every time you go out there and go to the bathroom, you're going to be reminded of the covenant relationship that you have with God and so what Shechem and Hamar heard was this if you will agree to this religious act then you can be included in the covenant family you we'll, we'll do business with you we'll marry intermarry and everything will be fine and so they agree and let me tell you it's one thing to see a little boy usually it's eight usually babies uh, boys are circumcised while they're still in the hospital in the jewish day they were circumcised on the eighth day because doctors say that's the strongest time in their immunity in which to do the surgery so there it happens in the eighth day but i can only imagine for grown men with no sedation and nothing to ease the pain possibly fermented wine or alcohol would be the only way to alleviate the pain. So let's read on. Verse 24, And every Canaanite man who went out of the city gate listened, considered what Hamar and Shechem said, and every male who was resident of that city was circumcised. Now on the third day, after the circumcision, when all the men were terribly sore and in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's full brothers. Now remember, these are her full brothers, took their swords, boldly entered into the city without anyone suspecting them of evil intent, and they killed every male. Wow. You know, it, it, I always say this, every girl needs a brother. In fact, I've often said to parents, if you don't have any boys, adopt one. People don't like it, but the reality is is that my counseling, a lot of my counseling comes from all-girl families. You can get mad at me later. Statistically, I'm telling you, over 40 years, boys do something to a family. They're they just different. But one thing about boys and brothers, 
they tend to be very protective of their sisters, right? This past week, my sister, last Sunday night, was voted out of a church, second church. And you may say, wow, you must have a really bad sister. No, in the panhandle of Florida, Calvinist, and we can get into that another time, I trained, did my doctorate at Reformed Theological Seminary. I studied under R.C. Sproul, but I'm not a Calvinist. Calvinists have pretty much taken over the panhandle of Florida. What they do, they come in, they begin to undermine the theology, uh, uh, beginning to plant uh, Calvinistic teachings, and before long, they just kind of take over. My sister in her previous church addressed the leadership of that church, and they, they threw her out. She went to the second church. It happened again. First Baptist in Iceville, Florida. She again addressed it. And last Sunday night, in a three-and-a-half-hour business meeting, they chewed her up for questioning the pastor's doctrinal stance and then voted her out. Along with her husband, a retired Air Force, and along with another woman who was also asking the same doctrinal questions, they threw her and her husband. He was a Marine. Three and a half hours of my sister being ridiculed, made fun of, talked about, and slandered publicly did me in. So Monday, in a Facebook Live, Monday night, I did what I called a... Um, I titled it In Defense of My Sister. And I brought up Robert's Rules of Order. I brought up Calvinism. I brought it all up in a way of defending my sister. That's a brother. So let's finish this. Now on the third day, verse 25, they're sore, they're hurting, they're unable to fight. They're unable to defend themselves. Verse 26, they killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah out of Shechem's house where she was staying, and they left. Then Jacob's other sons came upon those who were killed, looted the town because their sister had been defiled and disgraced. They took the Canaanite flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. They looted all their wealth. They took captive all their children and their wives, even everything that was in the houses. So there's retribution. You have a rape. You have retribution. And now let's look at the response. Look at verse, look at verse 20, look at verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me making me a stench to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My men are few in number, and the men of the land will band together against me and attack me. I shall be destroyed, I and my household. Now look at verse 31. Now everybody, first of all, listen, listen closely, because I don't even know, this is not how I normally preach. You know that. You know I don't preach this way. And I don't know why I'm doing it now for no other reason than God told me to, with no notes. Parent, if you do not respond in a biblical, Christ-like, spiritual way, if you suppress the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your life, you can get ready because your children may respond because you didn't. And they may respond in the wrong way. 
Does that make sense? In other words, parent, when you're raising children and you confront something that you know to be wrong and you don't do anything, you don't say anything, you say, well, I've just got to live here. We've just got to make the best out of this situation. It is what it is. Then you can get ready because children may respond in a way that is far worse, far more endangering, even in the city. If you just say, well, it is what it is. It's evil. People die. Drive-bys. Drugs. Alcohol. Pornography. Gambling. It is what it is. Can't do nothing about it. Can't change it. I got to live here. I got to make the best of the situation. And my friend, you can get ready because you're setting up the next generation for what I believe in this country will one day be a civil uprising and a literal hell. Children, authority figures, watch to see how you respond or if you respond at all. And the danger is, is we become insensitive. We just, we just used to it. It's the way it is. I'm not even bothered by it. Anymore. People run lights. Doesn't matter. Until they hit you. Until one day somebody runs through a light and they hit you, broadside you, kill one of your kids, then all of a sudden it matters. But until it affects me, I don't care. May not even care then. You see, the danger is we get used to the dark. It's the way it is. Well, watch this, and we'll close. Because Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've ruined me. Wow, isn't that something? Your daughter's raped, and he's talking about you've ruined me. You've made me a stench to the inhabitants of the land. Why did he care? God told him to get him out anyway. He's living in disobedience. What does he care whether he's a stench? Are you ready to be a stench for standing up for what's right? My sister looked at the girl that was being thrown out with her, both of them. She's in her 60s. This woman's probably about the same age. She looked and said, hey, get used to it. You're going to lose some friends when you stand up for what is right. Well, we've got to live here. My men are few in number. Well, he didn't think about God's men, did he? He didn't think about Elisha when Elisha was facing the enemy and the enemy was overtaking him and his servant was afraid. And you know what Elisha said? He said, God, would you remove, the, would you remove that spiritual veil and allow my servant to see the army behind us? He didn't think about that. He said, these men will band together against me and they'll attack me. Notice how many times he says, I. I shall be destroyed, I and my household. Now look at verse 31, then we'll close. But they said, should he be permitted to treat our sister as a what? As a whore, whore prostitute, harlot? In other words, they said, Dad, do we just turn our back? Do we just... 
say it is what it is and we you know these things happen even to good people and there's nothing we can do about it dad let me tell you when you and i do not stand up against evil against wrong we can be rest assured that when it finally comes to a head it'll be far worse than it was before if you again look at france who wants to go to paris now this is the world that we're living in. And the only thing that stands, the only thing that stands is the godly man or woman who says, this is not right. This is not right. It can't be like this. I've said it before. The women in this city, because I give up on the men, the women in this city could turn it around like that. they just pray and come together and say enough's enough we're not going to do it anymore you're not going to run our lights you're not going to bring crime and violence and drugs and alcohol you're not going to do any of that we're going to march we're going to stand on street corners we're going to do whatever we have to do and governor and mayor police department all of you need to hear something very clearly right now you better stand against evil and we're going to stand with you and we're not going to punish you when you enforce it Maybe that's why I'm preaching this today. God wants some of you to stand. Let's stand now. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, I've not, um, not sugarcoated it at all. Lord, this has not been the usual sermon. I've been exegeting verse by verse, just simply looking at things that we can take away from the Scripture. Maybe in some ways it's been, but Lord, it's been a deeper lesson, a deeper deeper message and the message is this the parents need to be actively involved in the raising of the children we need to help them navigate this world system that we're in we can't send them as Jacob allowed Dinah we can't send them to go it alone because they'll be harmed and hurt so we've got to be on high alert ever mindful in raising children we've got to be high alert in a authority positions whether we're a parent whether we're a teacher whether we're whatever position we hold if it has authority we need to be mindful that we are standing against evil Lord we ask you today to give us the courage and the strength to, to be what we ought to be to realize that children and people are looking at us watching our reaction Wow, I can remember when I was a boy. So different from our day. Walked into Polo yesterday with Sheila looking in another store. Just thought, well, I'll walk through this store. Heard some four-letter words, and I said out loud, Oh, God, thank you that Sheila's not with me because I don't need a fight right now. Lord, I can remember growing up in the 50s and 60s. My dad, if a man foul mouth said things in front of my mom or my sisters, my dad would stand up no matter what size the man was. He'd say, sir, you need to, need to watch your mouth. Boy, those days are gone. Lord, may you give us a backbone. May dads be dads. 
may men go into their homes and settle down and, and be the men that will raise their children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. May they live a godly example in front of their sons and their daughters. May one day when their sons and daughters bury them, may they say of their dad, he was the most righteous man I've ever known. God, help us to be strong. And Lord, I pray today, if there's one here, a man, woman, boy or girl, who's not saved, may God today, you'll speak to their heart, that they'll repent of their sin and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And they'll, they'll begin a life living under the Lordship of Christ. Lord, I don't say these things to hurt anybody. I want everybody to know the freedom and the joy that comes when we live in obedience to your Spirit and to your word. So Lord, speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. If you're a woman here and you need counsel, Sheila's here. You come. If it's the altar, you come to this altar.